This is Brian Croft. Welcome to another edition of Trench Talk, the podcast of Practical Shepherding. And I am joined once again in studio with Jim Sebastio. Jim, good to see you. Thank you, Brian. Always good to see you too. Hey, the first place we want to start today is I get a ton of people asking me, Jim, how you're doing with your Bell's palsy condition that we've talked about on the podcast uh, several times. And so will you just give a quick update on how you're doing? People are concerned and praying for you. Yeah, thank you for those prayers and that concern. Uh, I still have it. Uh, It's coming on tomorrow will be three months exactly since I was uh, initially... Uh, the onset of it, uh, I'm thankful for the Lord sustaining me the way that he has. Uh, I maybe am having some tiny, slight improvement in my, mostly in my ability to, to eat and to drink. Okay. Uh, but I still can't close my eye. I still can't smile. I still can't lift my eyebrow, uh, et cetera. So the, the major symptoms are, 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 still, are still pretty strongly in place. But... God's giving grace to persevere, and uh, I did get back to the pulpit, and I have preached over the last four Sundays, and this coming Sunday I'm going to attempt to do two ministries, so we'll see uh, how worn out I am after that. But Yeah, and your congregation is has warmly received you back. Uh, they've been very, very sweet about it, and yeah. I've been preaching through Romans 9, and even in part of this, in dealing with the, you know, when you're standing up there and you look the way that I do, and I'm reading, you know, the potter and the clay, and what right does the clay have to say to the potter, why have you made me like this? It, <laughs> wow, people yeah. actually have an emotional response, yeah. because yeah. part of preaching is the vessel that's bringing it, and you bring that element of your life into those things, and as you deal with issues of sweet submission to the sovereignty of God... I don't have to stand up there and say, hey, look, this is what I'm trying to do. But right. they, they do see that in them. So thank you. Yeah, no doubt. Well, I'm I'm glad you're able to continue your ministry as well as just be able to help us learn as yeah, you're, as you're very down. kind. So yeah. Thankful. So, <clears throat> so for today, Jim, we're going to take a little bit of a different turn for the podcast in light of uh, the 10-year anniversary of Practical Shepherding, as we sit in the new headquarters of Practical Shepherding, yes. in studio of Practical Shepherding, to be able to have this podcast episode, uh, we want to spend some time talking about the ministry and reflecting back on all that, that God has done. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we will continue to do uh, other podcast episodes on issues and the things that we normally tackle, but we felt, I mean, this month, the, the 10-year anniversary it's worth celebrating all that God has done. Yes. It's worth reflecting on a lot of you have benefited from the ministry in, in small, different ways, in pockets of ways. But we feel uh, that the story of practical shepherding is important to be told because it really shows God's hand of providence bringing things about the way it, the way it did. So we want to spend a, a little bit of time talking about this and use this podcast episode uh, to do that. So, Jim... Why don't you start us off? Let me throw it to you. And uh, where do you think we should go with it? There's so many things we could talk about. Where do you want to go with this conversation? Yeah, so Brian, I, I want to really ask a series of questions of you. You, you are uh, you, Your own life and your own ministry has been what's been behind practical shepherding. And, and up to this point, anyway, I think there's an inseparability between what God has done in your own life and in your own ministry and and what we're trying to do with with the podcast and uh, with the writings and the blogs and the uh, workshops and and those sorts of things. Uh, 
So we could. I'd, I'd like to just go back and and so for you, Brian, as you uh, in in thinking through when some of these things got started, some of it predates two thousand nine. So what is the significance? Maybe ask this at the start. What's the significance of March of two thousand nine? So we're at March two thousand nineteen. So ten years later. Uh, what is it about that date or that time that you look at it saying that's really kind of where practical shepherding started? Yeah, so th- there are several things that built to that moment. Um, that was April was, uh, or excuse me, March 2009 was really the time where uh, Visit the Sick had been released two months before. Okay, It got a bunch of traction on the internet we had no idea it would get, and it led to the blog starting the question-answers format that we still pretty much keep as a ministry, the blog format of ask a question, give a short, succinct answer, mm-hmm. hopefully with practical helps, and that's it. And even 10 years ago, that that appealed to people. It, helped, it was helpful to pastors who don't have a lot of time to read a, a bunch of long posts and things. So March of 2009 is when we launched the blog, and we called it Fractal Shepherding. So, and did you come up with that? I did. Name? Yeah, I, I, I think we. Um, uh, it was just kind of what trying to capture what we were trying, you know, what we were trying to do. So there, there's there's several things that led up to that, but that's the significance of, of that moment. Okay. So let's talk about what led up to that, because for those of you who don't know, neither Brian and I are not mega church pastors. We pastor relatively small churches. Uh, outside of practical shepherding, Brian, I, you, you know, who knows that you, anybody would outside of a small circle of friends, a little bit of influence. So we're not men with, like some men, we don't have this tremendous platform or anything like that. We're two uh, small-time pastors trying mm-hmm. to do do the help that we can. But in, in regard to what you've done, Brian, uh, I'm going to go ahead and just say this. So this started with you. You had some interns at your church. or How long had you been at the church? When did you start getting these interns, and how did that intern program really turn into practical shepherding? Yeah, great question. Um, and I think people who know my story from the church, in, in regard to the church revitalization work, will will under will be familiar with some of this. And you, sorry, you came to Auburndale what time? In two thousand in two thousand three. Two thousand three. So yeah. within six years, right. practical shepherding's gonna get started. Yeah, so it's interesting. Those who know the timeline of my my revival the story of our church in those first five years that I endured were pretty rough. Were really rough. And but what I did is I went to pastor this church. I had I had not been mentored well by pastors I served with in other churches. I had been invested in by some pastors outside of those churches and that was mm-hmm. helpful. But but I came to realize how important it was that now that I'm a senior pastor of a church, I, I needed to mentor and raise up guys for uh, for pastoral ministry. And so guys, some guys started showing up at the church in those early years when it was really rough and even just needed some camaraderie and people to walk through it with, with me. What I ended up doing is starting a pastoral internship, it, it probably in year two, I think, that I was there. We didn't pay him anything. It was just kind of this formal, a little bit of a formal way to include them in the ministry I was doing, drag them along to the hospitals and the widows' homes mm-hmm. and the funeral homes, and teach them and let them learn and provide some fellowship for me in a, in a really rough situation. Out of that, they came to me and said, will you write some of the stuff down you're teaching mm. us? You're taking us to the hospital, and I'm, I'm grilling them on the way, and I'm grilling them on the way back, and we're, we're having this intense discussion about it. And they asked me to finally just write this stuff down for them. 
And that's what eventually turned into the book Visit the Sick. Now, I was an atrocious writer then, and that is not like that is not an ex- ex- a, a, an extreme way to put it. I, I was a terrible writer. I did not know how to write. I was still trying to figure out how to write because I was writing sermons every week, and, and that's how I was trying to learn how to right. write as an adult. Sure. So I wrote this stuff down, and, and it kind of terrified me to even think about writing something in a formal sense. But I had a ton. I had some guys in our church. Uh, and some ladies that were really gifted at writing and editing, and they just kind of came alongside me and helped. And so that turned into the first book eventually. And Visit the Sick was published by a small publisher in the UK, day one. You know, this is 10 years ago. So this is when the internet is starting to drastically change the way book publishing works, Mm. where the internet kind of becomes king in the circulation of books, no longer bookstores. So this small publisher publishes this book, a couple of big bloggers pick it up, and it just kind of exploded on on this in this scene that uh, of the internet. A lot, the reformed blog world, in a lot of ways, just kind of picked it up. And, and, and who uh, who wrote the forward for that? Was that Dr. Moeller wrote the forward for that one? Or for visit the sick? No, Mark Dever did. Mark Dever did. Yeah. So Mark was a known name, right? Uh, in in uh, in an emerging reformedish network that was. Right. Again, you know, looking back ten years ago, where we were versus where we are now. So that that probably helped in some way. And then uh, two men in particular were helpful through their blogs. I, I right. think is that correct? And but, who were they? And kind of what did you see result uh, uh, come about as a result of what they did? Yeah. So Mark Dever is one of the guys that invested in me years ago. Uh, just connected with him. My brother was an elder at his church and. And so I knew Mark, and when this book, Mark encouraged me to write this book and uh, wrote the forward for it out of that. It was really kind of him to do that. Uh, Yeah, that certainly helps um, when you're trying to just get connected, and you're not connected to anybody at all. Right. When that book came out, uh, Justin Taylor, Crossway, writes for the Gospel Coalition, Mm -hmm. and and then Tim Challies, which most will know Tim Challies. His blog, this is 10 years ago where blogs were huge. They've, They've kind of died off a bit, but... Both of those guys got a, a copy of the book somehow mm. and liked it and hadn't seen anything like it and as far as pastoral practical resources like that. And they, they started uh, promoting it, and that's, that's what took, made it take off. All kinds of people saw it in a way they would have never seen it had Tim and Justin. And so that opened a lot of doors, that book getting a lot of circulation. What that book did is exposed the gaping hole of practical resources that right. people didn't realize was a gaping hole. Right. And when that happened, it opened this world to say, there's a need here that needs to be met. Yeah. So then there, then Tim's the one that encouraged me to start a blog. Now, I had never, I didn't read blogs, actually. I didn't know what a blog was, even, right. I have to acknowledge. And so I had to actually learn what a blog was. Right. Start one while you're figuring a blog out, which is not the way to do it, by the way. Um, but... I just was terrified to think about writing something and then immediately posting it online for anybody to see with being a very, very poor writer at that point. And I think, Brian, one of the things, at least to me, that was significant about when you say you were dealing with practical issues, you weren't talking about how to get a big church. I mean, when people write about practical, it's the the how-to books are about tend to be about administration or a degree of uh, this is what I did that I found successful and now my church went from 36 people to 3,000 people. But you were dealing with things like, hey, guys, this is a calling of ours. Mm -hmm. This is something that really matters. This is part and parcel. Most of us are going to be 
we're going to have older folk in our church or somebody, even you know, younger folk, somebody's going to be ill, and you need to shepherd them through that. And I think that's what set that apart. It was not a how-to book in regard to the what so often quills Christian bookstores or the ministerial aid section. And I think it dealt with some hard issues and and more of the nature of boots on the ground, really just biblical faithful, you're going to stand before God and give an account ministry. I think Is that accurate in saying that that's what was behind your own heart? It's an excellent point, and yes. And to give a little background, I was coming from, I went to Auburndale coming out of a 1,200-person church that was pragmatic mm-hmm. and entertainment-driven and consumeristic, and the word did not uh, was not what built the church there. Right. Uh, there was not a model of soul care there. It was yeah. programs and doing things, and and so I came out of that, and so I was very aware of that. And then as I read my New Testament, that the call of a pastor is different than what I had seen, mm. and influences like Mark and others had taught me that this is about soul care. Hebrews thirteen seventeen. I was familiar with even in that moment. So. I go to pastor my own church, though it's a, it was a dead dying church. You know, I went in saying my my calling is to care for souls, and so the practical resources on how to care for souls, unless you wanted to go read Dead Guys and old pastoral theology, right. they almost didn't exist ten years ago. Right, and it's interesting, Brian. I think in part of the way God put you together and dealt with you in your background, because your dad is a was a doctor. That's right. And how much did that influence that being on your radar as a pastor that, you know, visiting the sick and and how to minister to people who are sick spiritually? You saw your dad minister to people physically. Right. Uh, did that influence you at all growing up? Was it, To put it on your radar just in a way that maybe it wouldn't have been on the radar of some men who didn't have that background? Yeah, it certainly did. My dad was a general practice doc and family doc, and he was converted when I was about 10, 11 years old. Mm-hmm. And I I was old enough to remember when his life changed and when the way he practiced medicine changed. Mm-hmm. And he actually started taking me on home home visit calls with him as a teenager. And it just had a big impact on me. I watched him spiritually care for people. I watched mm-hmm. him physically care for people. So that did a couple of things. One, it taught me how to practically do this at a young age. And two, it it, rem- it's, it showed me the impact and how to just know how to do these things well. There's a good, there's a good helpful way to do these things, and then there's a not uh, mm-hmm. so good helpful way to do these things. And so that being ingrained early on really was helpful as a young pastor than trying to do this, you know, this work. And so that book kind of launched everything in a sense yeah. that it then pushed me to start a blog, which I would have never have done. Right. And do you remember your first blog post? <laughs> I think it was about I think it was about hospital visitation. Just, okay, but it I just I can still I can still connect with just the fear around that because I did had no confidence as a writer. The thought of people on the internet that can just read it and rip it to shreds, which is what I kind of expecting, you know, right. which is what I would read that people would do in this inter- in the internet age as exploding <laughs> and and I would say that through the years, even as we've as we've grown and continue to do this for a decade. There's been a few. There's been a few snarky people uh, that have that have shown up, but overall, uh, it's we've created a, a median on the on the internet that it's almost like we're we're not picking for a fight. We're just trying no, to help people. Exactly. And that's you're, been and nice. And, and that's been nice. And generally, we're not not trying to wade into the most controversial issues of the day. That's I mean, right. Maybe you know. I think we've had at least some podcast discussions on maybe how we. Uh, you know, to what degree do we handle that, and, and should that affect our our public ministry? But uh, if you were to say, I mean, the particular 
niche from the beginning, and I, th- and I think this is in some ways this is a niche type. Uh, you, you primarily have in view uh, not older established pastors, is that correct? Or that, uh, as you were thinking through this, but guys that were your own age and and, and maybe younger, and uh, you'd seen some holes in your own training, of course. And mm-hmm. but you now, full disclosure, you hadn't gone all the way through seminary. I haven't gone to seminary, but yeah. you had been with men that had been through seminary. And you realize that as good as seminary is, they can teach you, you know, church history, systematics, exegesis, the languages, but there is something of a disconnect when it came to the practicality beyond. Okay, here's a here's a here's a lesson on how to do a wedding. Here's a lesson on how to do a funeral. Mm. Uh, what were some of the things that you were beginning to realize? Or maybe I should ask, were what you saw needed to be addressed, was it coming just from your own learning, the crucible of your own life, and being driven to your Bible, and maybe being driven initially to some of your mentors? Or was it as guys just began to open their hearts up and you realize, wow, this probably isn't the only guy who's dealing with this? How did that hmm. come about for you? <clears throat> it's an excellent question because... It reveals the providence of God working in a situation that I just did not see God working in. And that's serving in large, pragmatic churches helped me see how much stuff happens in the church to the detriment of people's souls. Mm. When their souls aren't cared for, that's not the focus. The focus is, we need you to serve in this area to get this program done. Yeah. And so I saw that up close, and I saw what it did to people spiritually. And that just really burdened me. And so even in those churches, God was working in my heart, just developing a pastor's heart out of that, which eventually led me want to go be a, a pastor to care for my own flock. But seeing how you – know, it was hard. First eight and a half years was kind of ministry of hard knocks, serving right. in these hard, difficult churches where my philosophy of ministry drastically changed from what it was. It helped me see how important how the calling is is to care for people's souls, right. and that that helps them to flourish when you serve the Lord in the church, mm. and and so seeing that helped me to to come into the church, even though it was a struggle a struggling church, a hostile church in some ways, and I've got guys from the seminary coming in who are just kind of wanting to come and help, and it was helpful to be able to say to these guys, you know, study you know study and learn. Be theologically trained in seminary is really important, but I knew early on these guys also needed some kind of other training in the local church that mm. the seminary wasn't going to provide for them. So it's important that even at the ten-year mark, we we evaluate all that God has done. This started as a ministry to my interns and to the young guys in our church, and it crossed over to be able to help other young guys mm. who were reading articles on the internet and right. and, and these and. Then what it ended up happening is I started getting written uh, from older seasoned pastors. Mm. And so, yeah, I would say predominantly this ministry was to help train guys in areas that, that are new into ministry or trying to figure out how to do this work. But what by God's kind providence, there's certainly been pastors of all ages uh, that have been helped by, by the resources, at least through the years. And did you find in those, particularly in those early years, and maybe it's continued to be this, but that there are certain kinds of questions that were, that you really targeted as areas of deficiency where guys were getting into, they're getting, you know, they got called to a church, maybe it wasn't even their first church, maybe they're several years into it even, 
and they're really they're just they're very frustrated because they don't know where to go to for some of this kind of help. Uh, did you find that there were certain things, uh, you know, and, and even thinking through the, some of the books you wrote uh, early on, were you addressing kind of the the most burning questions people were 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 dealing with? So, like your second book dealt with. Was it funerals? Okay, the second book was with funerals. Actually, the third book was funerals. The second, the second book, book was, was on the the test call, of calling, uh, right? Okay, so that was on like how to train men for ministry. Basically, what we were doing with our young guys in our church—that's okay. what the second book was. So, kind of so, recognize. And what's yeah. the name of that book? It's called "Prepare Them to Shepherd." Now, in okay. the in the new and, s- and originally set. you had a more Puritan unwieldy title. <laughs> I think it just it was "Test, Train, Affirm, and Send" was the yeah. was the original title, which is in the subtitle of the new one. Okay, but the these those are the first three books. Both were first published with day one, and I, honestly, I, I I was I was young, and the only reason I was comfortable writing books at the age I was at, yeah. which I would generally discourage, is, right. is because, I mean, I was, so at that point I was in my early thirties. Right. And the only reason I was comfortable doing that is I realized that, you know, my experience with my father growing up, mm-hmm. by that time I had been helping a funeral home. And so by that time I'd done over a hundred funerals probably. Wow. And so, and, and we had just, um, you know, and we had instituted this process at our own church on how to raise guys up in a, in a setting, and we were growing in that. So I felt like I, I was able to just write out of a unique experience I had, even as right. a young man, and and from there started writing about other. But yeah, it's it's seeing it was seeing the deficiency. So this ministry started. I say this still, and I said it back then. The things we're writing about is we're trying to fill the gaping holes of practical right. resources. For pastors, because pastors don't, there's a lot of guys that go into the ministry well intended. This ministry has continued because we continue to see that guys just don't know how to pastor people. They don't know how to go and care for for souls. One of the main reasons still young guys don't go to the hospitals very much is they're afraid to go. They don't know what to say. They don't know what to do, and they're they're afraid to go in, and so right. they just don't go. Yeah. So this is still the reality. The practicality of pastoral ministry on how to actually care for souls is really what the focus was when we started and continues to be today. Yeah, and I think, Brian, what you've done, which I think has been very helpful, is you kind of set a biblical framework and then and then ask, a series of, ask and answer those kinds of series of questions. All right, how do we go about doing that? So you're starting to pour into these men. Uh, who uh, were, were were people pouring into you, or were you finding that in your own life that were there some struggles that were beginning to go on as as not just the demands of a church, but now you got this other thing thrust on you. Now you're you're the uh, Bible answer man, or you're the uh, you're the practical shepherding guy. What were the pressures that were coming upon you, and and how were you handling that? Were you do you think you were handling it well, or you look back and think, what kind of maybe warnings would you give to a guy who may find his own ministry expanding? Well, the first warning I would give is that to to stop looking for extra ministry to do. Mm-hmm. I think that there is, I this all kind of developed. I I, I still would look back and see. Pretty much went into it begrudgingly. 
Mm. Uh, I wasn't looking to write a series of books. I right. certainly didn't want to start a blog. Mm-hmm. That's the last thing I wanted to do. I, I really fought against that when Tim encouraged me, said, this is the way to reach guys. Yeah. If you want to reach guys and see the gaping hole, and I did. So th- my, I, what I see now is I see a lot of young guys who finally get maybe their first pastorate. They're there two, three years, and they look around at the people who've influenced them, and they're like, I, I want to do that too. And I, I think what I would stress is uh, to give yourself fully to the work of pastoral ministry in your local church. And if God wants to bring other ministry your way, he will, he can. And if he does, you want it to be an outflow of the faithfulness of your own local church ministry. Right. What I'm watching that I'm concerned about are young guys coming up and <clears throat> immediately thinking they're, they're supposed to have some kind of platform of something else. And that's right. going to, that's going to, uh, you know, confirm their their ministry in their church and so I just want to <clears throat> I just want to caution anybody listening to this a young pastor listening to this that uh, all this kind of came about with me kicking and screaming I I wrote I wrote the first three books and still was about to stop doing it because I'm like I shouldn't be doing this mm. I'm not a gifted writer uh, I wanted to be able to address these things I see the gaping hole but I mean, I'm a local church pastor. Like, I need to give, I need to continue to give myself to these people. I had just come out of the first five years and the, those three firing attempts. And those who know my story, I mean, it was consuming to be at our church. I mean, starting a new ministry was the last thing that was on my mind. So what that did was that helped me, uh, that helped me see that God was still had something else He wanted me to do. And but it gave perspective. I held on to it pretty loosely. So it was still many of the years even getting into this was I would even tell people, look, I'm a local church pastor. Uh, I, I want to preach in my own church. Like I'll write when I can write, and I'll do a blog post when I can do a blog post. But this is what God's called me to here. Right. And and I eventually had to warm up to the fact that God was doing more through this ministry that was building by seeing the need. And I think that's the other thing I would stress is that. Uh, there's Tim Challies gave me some of the best advice I, I ever heard in regard to this because I told him I couldn't write. And he said, Brian, there's plenty, plenty of people who know how to write. There's tons of people who have nothing to say. Mm-hmm. And he said, you have something to say. It's a need that's going to help pastors, which in it will help churches. And he convinced me mm-hmm. with that counsel that, okay, so maybe I need to press into this a bit more. Mm-hmm. And that's really, how it all, that's really how it all started. Okay, great. So I, I think, Jim, this is maybe a good... St- time to 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 pause and um maybe pray uh, i think we're gonna we're gonna take a second episode to kind of finish talking about this story and i want to bring jim into this because he plays such a significant role now in this ministry so jim would you just pray and, and yeah. pray for for i pray specifically for i think for young pastors listening to this who who are feeling that pull to think they have to have some kind of other ministry outside mm. their church and platform, and just pray that God yeah. will remind them to be committed to plant where they are. Sure. Our Father in heaven, thank you for uh, these moments to rehearse your your goodness to Brian, and through that, Father, your goodness to other uh, men in ministry. Thank you for those that have been helped by uh, what what has been written in order that they might better shepherd the flock of God that is among them. And Father, that's what we desire. We pray especially, do do pray especially for these younger brothers that uh, are, are newer in ministry and and maybe wrestling with a degree of dissatisfaction uh, with what may seem to be smaller and significant work, but but to recognize how wonder, what a wonderful thing it is to shepherd 
uh, the sheep of Jesus. And Father, may it be that we'll have a, a greater sense of our high and holy calling. But Father, I also thank you that in the midst of that, which is often uh, wearying and discouraging, that there are uh, older brothers that can come alongside and share the things you've taught us and taught them through, um, often through difficulty and failure. But thank you, Father, for this ministry and pray that you would continue to use it to help your, your men shepherd their flocks better, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.